Hey everybody, and welcome to the Might's Well Get Outdoors podcast. On today's episode, we're sitting down with four biologists from Quail Forever from across the state of Arizona, where we talk about the state of the quail across the state, how to keep the quail we have, and finally, how to help quail for the future. Uh, I will have a word and note that we had some technical difficulties on my end with my Wi-Fi. Uh, this was recorded via Zoom, uh, so I'm cutting in and out, but uh, overall we have a really cool episode for you. Um, so yeah, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So, uh, yeah, while we have everybody on here, um, Sarah, do you want to start off um, maybe give us a little bit about yourself? Uh, uh, sure. I, I am based out of Tucson, Arizona, and work in a partnership position between Arizona Game and Fish and Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever. Um, I've been in this position for about two and a half years and then previously worked in another region, so in the years now. Um, prior to coming to PFQF, I was a intern at BLM taking uh, damage control um, uh, out of the BLM Tucson field office. And then prior to that, I worked in a wildlife toxicology lab in the backcountry in Wyoming studying pikas and just kind of done that all over wildlife jobs. Uh, that helps many wildlifers. So, yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I know that's uh, that's definitely one nice, uh, very common trait among wildlifers. You kind of bounce around a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I guess going up, I should say we have four guests on the podcast today. Um, up next, Zara, do you mind giving us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, studying wildlife biologist with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Um, also partnering with Arizona Game and Fish as landowner relations programs from Yuma, focusing on the southwest regions of Arizona. I have just joined my position this um, this month before the DNR um, for mitigating human wildlife conflict under Urban Wildlife Project. I am master's in wildlife science from India, years of experience with wildlife conservation. I'm also currently pursuing PhD degree with University of South Africa. That is on ungulate pup. So that's about it. Wow. Yeah. Um, so are you from like, uh, have you worked in Arizona previously or? Yeah, I'm from, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. No, this is the first time. Yeah. No, that's pretty badass. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Carly, do you mind going next? Yeah. Uh, I'm Carly Cork, uh, a partner. My position partners with Arizona Game and Fish and, um, Arizona NRCS. Uh, I work out of the NRCS I am a riparian specialist and my position is statewide, so I help landowners with uh, riparian acres, restoration throughout the state. Um, before this, I worked with desert tortoise. I've done a lot of field jobs, mostly dealing with birds. Uh, and I, in 2017, I completed my master's deal in New Mexico. And yeah. Yeah, so, so far, everybody's got a lot of experience. And then, uh, I guess to round us out, um, Miss Caitlin, do you mind going last? Sure. Uh, I'm Caitlin Yoder. I, with uh, Fence Forever Quail Forever, I started my position here about four months ago. I'm the first partner position of the Bureau of Land Management. I also uh, coordinate with Arizona Game and Fish in the Intermountain West Joint Venture. Um, this, uh, the Bureau of Land Management land is known as the Arizona Strip, which is basically the area north of the Grand Canyon, in Arizona that is. Uh, before that, I finished a master's degree in forestry, uh, focusing on 
and high resolution warbler habitat. Um, before that, I actually worked for Pheasants Forever, uh, implementing Goldwing Warbler habitat on private land and time in Flagstaff, Arizona, doing vegetation monitoring. So uh, my background is some in vegetation and uh, from my bachelor's. That's me. <laughs> Well, that's pretty cool. So it sounds like we have a pretty wide range of, you know, expertise with the, with this panel. So I kind of, now that we got everybody introduced, I kind of want to go, I guess, kind of go bare bones. So this, this podcast, we kind of geared more towards, you know, folks that are just getting into the outdoors. And I consider, you know, if you're going to be out there, you know, running around with a shotgun in your hands, you probably should know a little bit about, you know, not only the gamer that you're pursuing, but also... Uh, the organizations that help support them. Um, and, you know, obviously one of those uh, those organizations uh, in the Southwest, especially, you know, all across the, the country is PFQF or Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever. Uh, so, and this goes out to, to everybody or whoever wants to answer it, but um, like what exactly is Pheasants Forever and how does like Quail Forever kind of tie into that? Um, well, okay, I'll go ahead and, and start. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, wait, can you repeat the question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, I'm just saying for, like, what is Pheasants Forever? Like, um, what what does Pheasants Forever do? Why should why should they matter, um, to, for lack of a better way of asking it? And uh, kind of like, how does Quail Forever tie into it? Because obviously the quail side of things... Uh, is more applicable to the Southwest? Um, well, Pheasants Forever is the habitat organization. Um, and, and what that be, Pheasants Forever is one of the leading organizations, like you said, that's really dedicated towards the conservation of not just pheasants, through various um, programs within the organization, such as the biologists, which do habitat improvement and education, which do public awareness and um, host events. And then we also even have someone in Washington who uh, really helps with the, the law side of things and getting those policies in place. Um, and Quail Forever. So Quail Forever, I guess, is nested underneath Pheasants Forever um, as a, but it, Pheasants Forever is in. And I don't know if sometimes that trips people up, <laughs> but it's all, all under the same umbrella. Right. And so it's all in habitat. Right. So QF is you know quail forever is pheasants forever just has a little more specific outlook i guess we could say yeah yeah definitely i definitely think that's a, a great way to word it um and then, i mean we have biologists in in uh in places like uh, idaho and wyoming where there's not a quail or montana and so some you know other biologists so it's really um interesting to have have to have people dedicated to to all types of wildlife habitat so that's pretty cool that's so i know well that's how i got introduced to you to well to well, to carly um specifically but uh to you guys is uh through our local chapter and uh which you know down here it's i'm a member of the valley of the sun chapter of quail forever and i i have we have one guy that uh actually a former president the jokes that um you know, it's well, is it pheasants forever, quail forever? But once you get south of Iowa, it's quail forever, pheasants forever. You know, because you get down here and it's all, you know, it's we, you know, yet to, I mean, heck, in Arizona, you got to draw a tag just to go pheasant hunting. Well, yeah, because there's not that many. Yeah, they're just not here. Any, there's like two. And they, they all <laughs> live with Sarah. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? And you better yeah, hope the same person doesn't get both tags. I think it, it tends to be a server for everything. <laughs> so, uh, so obviously, yeah. like you said, you guys got staff, you know, kind of, kind of everywhere, kind of coast to coast. Yeah, all over the United States, <laughs> from the east <laughs> to the west. I'm just kidding. I'm being silly. Um, yeah, all, we have biologists in Washington. We have biologists in, I believe, in Georgia. There's biologia and the northeast and and now and southwest and here in arizona and right and then so yeah, yeah we are we are all over the place <laughs> <laughs> kind of everywhere so for uh well i guess since we are in arizona well except for one of us uh you know i kind of want to talk about like so is it just you four in in the entire southwest that kind of runs runs the show we'll, we'll say as far as like total like PFQF uh, staff members, or is there other members? Well, up until recently. Up until recently. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, well, it depends also what you you define as this. Like to include Colorado in the Southwest, and some people don't. Um, so it really just depends. But uh, the two positions, um, mine and Zara's positions, was actually out of Pine Top, and then Phoenix for the Yuma position. Position. And then now I think Al, our supervisor, just opened two positions in New Mexico through through a federal order. So, and and we also now who here's the kicker. Now we have a regional rep coming to Arizona to serve. That's how amazing the Southwest is. <laughs> right. So maybe we should tell folks, you know, what like what is a regional rep? Like, what does that mean, and what what significance does that have? for the southwest oh great yeah good thanks <laughs> is that a good segue for you <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, a regional rep really works with the chapters um to, to help build the organization and for local causes and nationwide causes and and helps build more chapters it's really just there to to support i understand but i'm not i don't work in hr so <laughs> <laughs> i don't have the the exact job. Right, right. You don't have the job description right in front of you. I understand that. Uh, but no, I mean, that, I think that's pretty cool. Then, so, and that's, and that, cause that's a pretty large facet of Quill Forever, you know, outside of uh, you guys is, uh, you know, you are, you know, outside of like your positions, it is pretty chapter heavy. Um, we're a bit light here in the Southwest, I think, but uh, it is a pretty, you know, kind of rely on the chapters for a lot of what gets done, right? Definitely. The chapters really help us. Um, I, all our, our funding organization comes from the chapters. So it, um, it really seems like it, it could be, it, it's in a prime position to, uh, expand. Yeah, for sure. Cause I mean, I, I know I'm kind of, I'm stealing this from another podcast, but there is a, and you know, if, if folks are listening to another Upland podcast, they'll know who I'm talking about, but, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I know hunters always talk about you know hundred dollars provide conservation, but I mean having a, a specific organization that's helping a specific, well, not a specific species, but you know a specific genre of species. You know, because we have multiple species of quail here, but you know, it's the money that you spend here goes into helping. You know, it's not like you know you're spending money in Arizona and it's funding bobwhites in in Florida. You know, it's you spend money on quail and it helps quail. 
kind of thing. Sorry, maybe I should uh, you know, start picking random people from the audience and we'll we'll uh, ask them. So, <laughs> uh, so now that we've kind of talked about that, so I guess now we've kind of gotten I guess those out of the way. Um, so maybe you guys can maybe open it up for the audience a little bit. Like, uh, so what does a farm biologist do? Like a farm bill biologist? Like what? You know, maybe I'll open up this up to Carly. Um, you know, yeah. As the as the resident farm bill should be should go to me. So. <laughs> you know, so never the, mind Zara. It's free. It's all on you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Being a biologist out here, uh, need to get out of my territory. <laughs> uh, so uh, this big uh, suite of of laws and regulations um, that uh, help help uh producers in the u.s um it's all geared on on helping them um to make sure that they they uh you know do have uh, produce their their uh oh man i'm tripping over my words <laughs> <laughs> you know policies that help agriculture producers help us eat essentially um so as a farm bill biologist uh landowners navigate these this huge bill that um is geared to help them you know, I don't know what it is. So um, they sort of, it helps to have a biologist there to look at it through this uh, and sort of leverage these farm bill dollars to help producers uh, do good things for habitat. So um, for bridge some farm bill dollars to help uh, producers here in Arizona uh, do really good restoration things. And uh, in Arizona, Riparian habitats are like less than one percent of the total land area, but are percent of Arizona's wildlife. So these these corridors are really important for a lot of different species. So just to take it one step further, so if folks don't know that terminology, what does riparian mean? Like, how do you define? Because I mean, that's kind of a foreign word for a lot of folks. Right. So riparian is sort of that that habitat that's right next to water. Um, especially here in the desert southwest, southwest, you can really see where the rivers are. It'll be a big, just a big strip of green trees on a wasteland desert. So um, those that strip of vegetation and that that habitat that's um, more weird than the rest of the areas is the riparian zone. Right, and it kind of provides that buffer between, I guess, what would normally be considered an upland and and the waterways. Correct. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yes. I mean, that's, I mean, they're pretty crucial. Like, like you said, what, is, what did you just say? It was like 1% of, of Arizona's land mass is considered a riparian zone. Yeah. And 0.01 or something like that. It's oh, zero. Small. <laughs> yeah. 0.01. Okay. See, I'm so used to being from, I was like, I, I grew up in the Northeast, which I think we're pretty much all riparian zone up there. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, um, obviously, I mean, folks, I mean, so it's a pretty critical position then, I mean, especially for, a, you know, a, a, the, the the habitat organization that you guys are out there actually, you know, working to identify and, you know, protect these, these habitats or mitigate these habitats, um, uh, even though they are, you know, kind of minuscule in Arizona, but they still are crucial to the success of, 
of our upland species. Yeah, yeah. So, and and there's uh, cascading effects too on if you, you know, if you do something with to the riparian zone, you'll see it. And, you know, a lot of our, our riparian or our, our streams in Arizona are really disconnected from their floodplains. So that means that get wet as often, um, you know, which ties into the, the greater hydrology of, of the whole area. If you if you have a messed up riparian zone, a lot of other things will get messed up. Right. Yeah. Like you said, uh, I think that was a, the the best terminology for it is that cascading. Uh, yeah, that cascading effect. That if it does, you know, it's just gonna be one big snowball. You know, once one happens, you know, it's just your issues are just gonna get bigger and bigger as you go down the line. And you start getting away from those areas. So we have obviously right. we have and especially water if there's not is uh, uh important <laughs> right yeah because it is so few and far between you know for our riparian zone yeah so we definitely got to protect what we have um and so actually i want to i guess we can go into the weeds a little bit here so one of if folks are listening to this in phoenix uh phoenix arizona i guess you should say kind of grew up next to phoenix new york but uh so one of the 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 areas we have down here um one nice thing about phoenix we know we got multiple river systems that kind of come through the uh, the valley um but we're going to be working on a quail survey right coming up the next actually it's this coming weekend yeah so can we talk about um, uh, can we talk about that project a little bit and what's you know what's the end goal yeah down there at rob dispute on some uh, water for wildlife. So I think, it, what is it, uh, a mile of waters? Yeah, I believe it's. Uh, yeah, I believe it's a mile. Yeah. So, um, and we're gonna go out there. We have all, all our volunteers set up to do some some surveys for some quail, so we can get some. Uh, this is pre-implementation of the waters, so we can see the, the effect of the action there. It should be pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a lot of, and I think cool plus it's gonna be pretty fun to tell you the truth <laughs> uh i mean it's uh i'm gonna uh, yeah i mean i mean it's citizen science to its core which you know i love citizen science um you know yeah, we get the um, public involved i uh during during my time with my thesis i really needed we need i was doing a bird dog and um those fully trained bird dogs can be you know six thousand dollars y'all don't need yeah. to tell you that uh it's really vital to have have uh especially people with those kind of tools yeah i mean especially uh what you said like you said you got the they already had the dogs are started or finished and yeah i mean a, a finished dog is on on godly price um i mean the pups will cost you up to two grand depending on you know the breeding you know the lineages but uh no I'm, uh, it's definitely it's, it's a different style of survey uh it's one i'm i wasn't real familiar with um uh using bird dogs it was just it was just a almost an alien concept to me but you know that's that's one of the things i love about wildlife ecology and wildlife work is that you know it's kind of get to do what you want as long as it works well (laughs) but uh so obviously carly like you said you got you're the farm bill bio and then uh zara zara and sarah um you guys are coordinating biologists so what's the difference between a coordinating biologist and a farm bill biologist um well so in our position landowners as well um 
and agricultural land lessees uh, to do habitat um, projects. But we can also agencies um, and for landscape scale level projects. So I think that kind of is why we actually used to be farm months ago. So we're very, very new coordinating biology. <laughs> um, but it's just because biologists uh, roll within Buzzins Forever fit what we did a little bit more. Um, usually, I guess the farm field bi biologists work directly with NRCS and, and we don't work within NRCS programs more as just kind of assist on the um, and through other farm bill funds that the Arizona Game and Fish acquires. So, okay, so it sounds like you guys are more, what like the farm bill biologists, you know, they, you know, it's a work of, it's a mixture of uh, state and federal dollars, which you guys sound like it's more state focused. Am I correct in that assessment or? Yeah. Yeah. With the programs we use to implement the conservation. Yeah. No, that's pretty cool. I actually didn't know, I didn't know that going into this. So that's, that's uh, pretty cool, pretty cool for my own edification. And then. Um, Caitlin, I feel really bad, but what was your exact position again? I feel bad for forgetting after like 20 minutes. Oh, that's all right. Um, I'm exclusively on federal land with federal money. So I'm odd man out, I guess, when it comes to this sort of thing. <laughs> right. Cause you're with BLM. Yeah. I mean, and the Arizona game of fish, I work with them and near mountain West joint venture, but it's thus far has been on federal land. So not a lot of contact with private landowners to this point right because especially up in your neck of the woods at least on you know this side of the border uh you know between arizona and utah uh there's just not a lot of private lands to even deal with right it's mostly it's pretty much all federal once you get that far far north yeah i mean there's a few, few private islands in the middle of the federal land but there's really not a lot um, and most of them are permittees on federal land. So maybe someday I'll work with a private landowner in the sense that they run their cattle, you know, and something about it. Right. Cause by permittee, you're talking like, um, like leased grazing properties, correct? Yes. Okay. Exactly. No, that's still pretty cool. So what do you like as, as far as species wise, I mean, down here, you know, we'll call it the rest of Arizona. You know, we have our, the gamble scale and, and, uh, merge what species are you guys are you seeing mostly up there um uh, i mean you can go ahead i'm really not that familiar with quail although i have seen some gambles out on yeah. the strip as far as i know that's the primary species we have and our populations are small just because it's pretty dry up here and there's not a lot of water right yeah i knew gambles went up that far i didn't know if you guys got any of the the californias came along the colorado river and kind of came that way a bit more but i believe they stick kind of go around you if, if I remember my maps correctly. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure, honestly. Okay. Well, that was more of a, you know, more um. out of curiosity than anything else. So that's all I had for you. Um, yeah. So I guess, you know, while we're talking quail, since I have a bunch of, you know, upland biologists here, uh, I probably should jump right in and, you know, ask them, you know, can you, you know, give a breakdown a bit? you know, on maybe like the current status, you know, where are we sitting, you know, with, with, with the different quail species, you know, I, I, I you know, I'm thinking about the main three, you know, the gambles scaled and, and uh, merns. Um, but obviously we have, you know, huntable populations of uh, Californias or valleys or whatever you want to call them. But uh, I guess, I'd... So, uh... no, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, I, well, the thing I was going to add in was uh, maybe we can just go right across, um, 
each person's area. So maybe just go, you know, straight from Tucson to Yuma. So, I mean, I figured maybe we'd do, have Sarah talk about her area and then uh, Carly and then Zara. And maybe just talk about what you guys are seeing in each each of your locales. Yeah, let's do that. So... Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, down here um, in southeastern Arizona, it's our monsoon out of the whole state, but it's still very, very dry. Um, and so what that means in terms of quail, that our, our Merns, or Montezuma quail population are probably going to be hurting this year. And so for people who... Where you know visits uh, oak woodland areas where Montezuma quail tend to to live, and those those kind of mountainous areas. Um, um, I would check, yeah, check places where where you, it got more rain, and so they're probably going to be right. more, more scaled quail. Right. Yeah, it's going to be. It's also going to probably be a little spotty, and then Gamble's quail best 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 year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So port. Uh, about gam- Gamble's quail, uh, saying that um, this has been one of the best year for Gamble's in a long time, which ended up at the average of what it maybe should be or was. In- it was it was the best like this um, in 1919. Uh, this is the first year it has been this good for Gamble's quail. They have not seen this number since 1990s. That's what. But yeah, yeah. The, the Montezumas will probably get hit very badly. So they, they um, they're late season breeders. So the lack of the monsoon probably hurt them quite a bit. Yeah. So I mean, hunter, like you said, hunters probably going to find be pretty localized. You know, depending on you know which of those you know those oak those oak choked draws have actually got you know any moisture. No, that's pretty unfortunate. And uh, I gotta admit though, I keep chuckling every time you call them Montezumas because I'm so used to hearing them as merged. It took me a second to realize they're the same species. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, out in New Mexico, you have to call them Montezumas. Nobody in Alma know what you're talking about if you call them Burns. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just, it's always, I don't know. I think, yeah, Arizona is the only ones, I believe, that, that still call, that actually call them Burns. Um, uh, you know, I think it was based off of uh, the, one of the first person to describe them, if I remember right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, it's pretty disheartening about those about the the merns down there i mean hopefully i mean i got the yep, season's upcoming well i say upcoming it's they still got another month or so because what in december of someday i don't want to misquote somebody i don't want anybody to you know say well i heard it on this podcast that it's open and it's like nope you know wildlife manager's not gonna <laughs> like friday that friday in december what's that yeah i said i think it's a friday in december yeah we'll, we'll put that yeah it's one of the it's one of the fridays sure. um got my regs right here yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Read the regs and, uh, yeah, you know, read them for yourself, and we'll get back to you. But um, <laughs> so, and, and maybe I maybe I missed it. But uh, did you did you talk about scalies? Um, I I briefly touched on them. Um, they're so they're they're actually not in, on monsoon rain or winter rain. It's kind of the literature is all over the place on what they're dependent on, but it's kind of thing that they so they're probably going to be hurting as well um but maybe not as much as the Montezuma quail or Merns quail yeah so that's well I mean it kind of sucks there I mean it, it's it's one thing to you know to, to celebrate how the gambles are doing so great and then you know in the second breath you got to say that you know the scalies and Merns just just aren't aren't there well, I mean they're there but they're not in the numbers that they should be so are you guys I mean I know we're seeing fantastic numbers well I don't want to I don't want to step on Carly's toes, but um, 
you said you're you're seeing really good numbers of gambles down no, there. No, so I think you know more about it. Than yeah, but I'm not the biologist, so I want to hear from <laughs> your from you. Uh, you know, I'm just the hook and bullet guy. But uh, all right, well, let's just <laughs> let's just transition right to the Central Valley. So, Carly, what are you seeing as far as quail? You know, in this part of the the state. Um, you know, I I've been but, uh, really haven't been seeing that much else, to be honest. <laughs> They're, I mean, it, I feel like they've been, I, uh, supposedly they're doing well, <laughs> I guess. <that's> <laughs> yeah. Well, I know just in my own ventures, I've been out, well, I've only been out twice so far for quail since the opener and, you know, I've been able to get into birds both times. And, uh, the first time I got out was out by the salt river. And, you know, I only stopped once and, you know, the first covey I kicked up had like 30 birds in it in an area where I usually kick up like a dozen. So, I mean, that's, oh, wow. yeah. And then the second place, um, it's a spot that was given to me. So I don't want to say where that one was, but, uh, in a one hour walk, um, I kicked up probably 75, maybe a hundred. Cause I, I thought I could kick up, kicking up the same covey over and over again to realize that all the coveys I was kicking up were going to the right. And I just kept walking straight and kept finding bird after bird after bird. So I think I I bumped one covey, which split, and then I walked right into the middle of another one. And there there's probably at least 75, you know, on a one-hour walk, which I didn't think was too bad. Because um, I know I've been seeing a lot more quail around here than I have. I, so I've only been in Arizona three years. Uh, but I know that in my limited experience, this year has been stellar. Um, on as far as numbers go, but obviously I haven't been down to Tucson. I don't know. I haven't seen the Merns firsthand. I haven't seen the Scalies firsthand, you know, to give a comparison, but I can say I, I agree with the QF and AZGFD, um, uh, predictions that this is a, in, since I've been here, it's a stellar year on, on gambles. Um, and then Miss Zara, what uh, what are you guys seeing down in in Yuma? Are you guys seeing the same numbers or anything different? So I personally haven't. I've heard a lot of reports from um, wildlife managers. I have seen pictures around the waters that they have taken, and they're very, very. Um, again, it seems like it is a really good year for gambles. That's the only thing that you find in that area. So that. Um, that's pretty big, and that's that's good considering um, it happened after so many years. So it's it is a matter of excitement. The other species there, so yeah, that's something to celebrate um, on our side. Um, so yeah, I've have um, come and reported that this has been a great year, and it has been like this after a long, long time. Um, in their career, they are pretty excited. So I think it is a matter of celebration that we have such good numbers this year for. That's pretty awesome. That's I'm glad, it's, I'm glad it's it's looking good across the state. You know, it's not localized, no, no, super localized. I mean, that's always great for for the state's hunters and you know for the quail. You know, onto their own right. You know, they're you know because yeah. you see them here in Phoenix. I mean, they're in every backyard. You go to the zoo and you can limit out in five minutes if they let you. Um, but uh, as over there, so you get you're relatively close to where. The valley quail, have you, have you heard any reports about the valley quail on the other side of the Colorado River? No. No, not yet? No, not not yet. I have asked about it, but I didn't hear any valley quail this year. And um, I'm not sure if, you know, they will see 
see them this year or not. He has told me about them. I did ask about it. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, I mean, hopefully they had the same, you know, kind of boon that the, the Gambles did this year. Because I think they are pretty closely related. So I'd assume that they would be affected similarly by the monsoons. But you uh, would think. <laughs> right. Uh, so kind of, and I guess this directly ties this year, you know, with, with the merge or the Montezuma quail, but I mean, with this year being a boon year, we still got to think about the past years, you know, you know, with the lower numbers and it's going to happen again. Um, but is there anything, uh, that stands out to you guys and I'll, open this up for the whole panel, whoever wants to, to jump in first, um, that stands out as maybe a threat to the future of quail. And, you know, I'll, I'll put on another one for that is, uh, what can we do, you know, as a hunting population, as an organization to mitigate any particular issue? Um, I think you should start practicing your rain dance more. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be pretty bad. Abysmal. Uh, yeah, actually, the the Southwest Climate Hub is the worst drought year on record. So, if we can uh, stop drinking so much water, that'd be good. Right. Yeah. Turn off all the the. <laughs> I'd say turn off all the golf course sprinklers, but I know a lot of quail live out there too, so maybe that's not the answer. <laughs> There's got to be something we can turn off. Maybe the fountains. Turn them off strategically. Yeah, strategically. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we yeah. There's got to be something we can turn off to you know keep the water up. Definitely, where there's there's definitely things we can do to um you know to lessen a lot of that stuff is like a, you know policy level things. Um, but you know uh, one of the things that helps uh, farmers you know uh, redo their irrigation and use more do more water efficient irrigation so that. Uh, that I guess if you're a farmer, you could do. <laughs> right, but it's harder to do with somebody, you know, that's got like a sprinkler on the front lawn, you know. So is that something that maybe can be pushed for on like a person by person, you know, is to, uh, you know, quit spending your money on a lawnmower and just zero escape everybody's lawns? Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would totally. Right, I don't think that'd be too much I don't to ask. Know. I mean, I don't know, it's just rocks. I mean, it, it looks good. I mean, some folks make it look good. Yeah, like zero escape. I think it can look really good if it's done right. Right. So maybe maybe that's the answer to Arizona's quail is uh, everybody just, you know, get rid of all your grass and just put in either AstroTurf or just a bunch of rocks. Maybe that's. And yeah. And I think uh, coming to the state, not everyone needs to move here. So just come visit and then go back home. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And bring your own water. Sprawl a real threat as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anybody coming to visit Arizona, come with like thirty gallons, and then don't use any of ours. Just bring your own. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, we're gonna bring, bring your lakes. own. That's what <laughs> we're gonna do. Own. All the folks coming here from Chicago, everybody fill up a five gallon bucket and bring your own water. We'll we'll drain uh, Lake Michigan that way. Yeah, that part of the country is flooding. They could. Yeah. They, right. Yeah. They can get. They can get rid of it, and we can use it. That's, right over. Like mandatory. Right. Make that the toll. That's a great management practice. We can yeah. even. Yeah. When you get when you when you. Y-O-W. Right. Yeah. When you when you get to when you're on the I-40, when you get to Gallup, if you don't have a bucket of water, turn around, and go back. We don't want you. Yeah. That's gonna well, be. I do have, yeah, we do have a bit of checkpoints. They can actually check it for us before they. Right. They enter. 
hey, it's creating jobs. It's bringing water to Arizona. It's it's great for Arizona's economy all all in one. Yeah. So everybody's gonna come here anyways. I mean, they're already coming. Might as well you know do some good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, I mean, if it does re- if it does reduce it, I mean, maybe. I mean, at the worst, the traffic on the I-10 is going to get better. I don't really see how that's going <laughs> to... I don't see I don't see a downside. Now that, now that we're thinking about this, I don't see any downside at all. But... Um, Isn't that cartoon movie, Rango? Which one? Rain, oh, oh Fern Gully? Rango with the lizard. You mean Fern Gully? The lizard. I've seen, it. I've seen, I've seen all of those. Yeah, Rango. <laughs> no, Rango. It's like um, yeah. Johnny Depp plays the voice of this oh, lizard. Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lizard, and he's... It's a dessert, yeah. <laughs> they have a water bank in that movie. <laughs> that's what our- Yeah, that's what we need. No, I thought I I got the wrong cartoon movie. I was thinking about the one that came out when I was a kid about the it was about like oil in the Australian outback or in the rainforest or something. But it was I don't know, Robin Williams played a bat. I don't know. If you haven't seen it, maybe maybe I'm aging myself one or the other. <laughs> have any of you guys seen it? Am I the only one? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I think I think anyone who works with wildlife has seen it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind. Of, yeah, it's kind of the one you know one of those movies that everybody's kind of like. Um, yeah, I oh probably the, the the new generation, maybe like your guys' age of wildlifers. Um, you know, it was like the Lorax or something. This was like our my generation's Lorax movie. <laughs> that was the one that ever got everybody kind of interested in. You know, environmentalism and wildlife. Uh, you know, it was a bat flying around with a radio stuck in his ear. <laughs> <laughs> there are cool movies that I'm, you know, for my life, but it's just that every time people come out of the theater, I don't think how much of that retains to right? them. Yeah, like, it's... feel it and then they forget. Right. Yeah. Cause there are a bunch of movies that, you know, kind of have that kind of vibe to it. I think the only one that's stuck through the years is Bambi, but, uh, <laughs> oh, true. Sorry. I mean, there's yeah. a whole, uh, what's it? Uh, the Bambi effect about, you know, after that movie came out, I think they said, um, hundred numbers went down like 20% or something like folks just gave it up. But, uh, gave wildfire a bad name too. Yeah. Gave wildfire a bad name. Although there's been a couple of movies. What's that? Um, well, didn't, well, it gave well, yeah, wildfire itself, but I was thinking there was a movie that just came out. I say just. Um, it's kind of like saying, "Well, just the other day," but it happened like three years ago. Uh, but there's a couple, like a movie that came out for like um, firefighting. I remember, if I remember right? Uh, it's not Cars. One of the Planes movies, I think, was about firefighting. I don't know. Disney's not my oh, strong yeah. suit. <laughs> yeah, the 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 one with the exactly. That's the movie. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Fi- they they were not firefighting planes, but they turned themselves into something like that. <laughs> into okay, that's. I remember one came out. And like I said, Disney's not my strong suit. I I know the idea behind them, but I can't tell you like the plot behind it. Uh, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of other movies that maybe you know might have gotten folks' attention. You know, you got Bambi, you got Fern Gully, Rango, which Rango I guess was yeah, we'll we'll call it that. Lorax. <laughs> Am I the only one listed off? Um, Avatar. Yeah, Avatar. Yeah, although that was just Dancing with the Wolves in space. Well, so is Fern Gully. Yeah. But all the Smurfs are talking about the same thing too. It's just, it's just, they're Smurfs. So no- right, who's going to take a Smurf seriously? But he's taking them <laughs> Oh, there was one other one when I was a kid. Um, when I, I mean, now I'm really dating myself. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it. There was one about like this little, there was like a little hedgehog or something, but like this gas came in, like a, tur- a truck overturned. It was full of like noxious gas. It killed off a lot of their families. So they had to go like find a cure. Are you talking about Critters? That's a horror movie. It's what? <laughs> No, I'm not talking like the hills have eyes or something like that. <laughs> There's a movie that's called Critters. That's a horror. Movie. No, no, no. That's movie. no. I'll, I'll be the first to tell you. I'm, I don't go for the the horror movies. I'm horrible around Halloween because I don't I don't go for them. I'll just turn on another John Wayne and call it good. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. What? I was really little when that movie came out. What? I did not want to go back and watch it again. Right. You need to watch some of the terrible sequels on Netflix. Okay. <laughs> what movies got the terrible sequels? Critters. The Critters. Oh, Critters. Okay. The old one was really like really scary, but I don't know about the new ones. I'm oh, Once Upon a Forest. Sure. That's the movie I'm trying to think of. Once Upon a what? Once Upon a Forest. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah, I had to look it up on Wikipedia. It came out in '93. So I mean, like I said, I'm that might I was be there in '93. What's that? '93. What are you talking about? Look, I was there in '93. So it's not that you're not old. Don't throw that. <laughs> we have seen right. movies in 91. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right, that's probably about as far as out in, the, in that patch of weeds because there's probably somebody listening to this. But if they have, if they haven't turned it off already, they're probably just shaking their heads like, "What are these folks talking about?" But, uh, <laughs> so yeah, apart from uh, you know doing some you know making folks come into the state carrying a bucket of water, uh, do you guys have any other like any future projects coming up you can talk about? Because we already talked about like Robin's Butte and. Um, you know, the drinker setups and the surveys we're going to be doing. Now. Is there any other projects going on across the state? Yeah, I've got, I got a couple of projects, um, especially, um, so the Southern Arizona Quail Forever chapter is working on these erosion control structures. And so they're basically, they're called like one rock dams and, and there's fancy names for helping control erosion and some of these drain and drainages and, and we're pairing it with um, thinning of the forest near Sierra Vista. Um, and so that's a really cool project because I think it'll really help uh, the quail out in that particular area. There's, um, what they do is they slow down the water so it helps with the erosion, but it also slows down the water enough to where it kind of concentrates it. Herbs and grasses can grow there and it, it helps keep it greener longer, which is really important for the quail and other, other wildlife. So that's pretty cool. Is that, uh, is that coming up? this year 2020 or is that like is that slated for a little bit further down the road or when when is that going to happen still, it's still currently ongoing so it's um i believe the total project area that we'd like to to shoot in on the forest is acres and the the quail forever um southern arizona quail forever chapter has implemented about uh, 200 plus structures on one of the phases and so we're still working on and we're on phase of the thinning the the trees for for wildfire prevention too um and for montezuma quail habitat improvement the southern arizona chapter is still working in phase two on the erosion control structures and the drainages so, so, that, so that's pretty cool so it sounds so this this project is kind of oh, oops sorry i didn't mean to step on you there what were you saying go for it go for it i was <laughs> i was rambling. oh no so it sounds like so is Less. this with with uh the habitat you guys are managing is this um a hundred percent uh you know in Mern's habitat or is this gonna you know benefit other quail species as well um it's mostly for Mern's hab it's mostly in Mern's habitat a uh, few scaled um out on the fringes but it it's it's concentrated montezuma quail habitat no that's pretty that's pretty cool that's yeah. um but i mean and as far you, you mentioned clearing out the forest is there is it just you know a straight uh thinning practice or is there a certain uh species you guys are looking to thin in particular like i know there's uh, a lot of talk about thinning out junipers in order to help uh, uh water management yeah so we're, we're we're actually um so working with the uh, fuels management specialist out of the, for that ranger district and um, him and the person the project lead before before i kind of took it over um create a prescription that would help with the uh, wildfire, um, the keeping it free from, but also um, tailored it to specifically Montezuma quail habitat needs, which is like, I believe, mm, I'm not going to, I think it's around 10 to 20% of a certain canopy structure that they need. 
Um, and so they, they work that into the prescription. And then in more open areas where it's not um, not mainly there, uh, they're opening it up a little bit more, which will be utilized by pronghorn and other more grassland. Elk that's really cool. And, um, yeah. <laughs> No, that's pretty. So you said this is ongoing. So when did this project begin? Uh, this project, I believe, began in 2017 or 2018. Um, all the pieces were falling into place when I was working out of the Arizona, Arizona Game and Fish um, headquarters office and I was working for the. That's where I first got introduced to it because the uh, regional small game manager at the time for the department was was really laying out. And then when I moved to Tucson to take over uh, my role here, I. I picked them up um, and he actually moved to another because like, really great transition because I was able to pick them up and, and keep rolling. And I was even closer to the project because it, it's in my, in the region. Yeah. And it's been slowly, slowly chugging along. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. That sounds like a really cool project. Um, And is that the same project? So I remember an email went out pretty recently about uh, uh, two of the members of the, the Valley of the Sun chapter um, to, for coming down doing like an inner chapter kind of project uh this winter is that is that this same project or am i alluding to something different um i i you cut out there a little bit for me um, my internet must be no i'm starting to i'm really starting to think it's on my end no uh no i'm really starting <laughs> to think this, this whole issue is on my end so i got to figure out how to mitigate this but uh no there was a an email went out recently like within the last month or so to the valley of the sun chapter of quilf river um, uh, from, I believe somebody in QF, I can't remember if it was a chapter member or maybe it was one of, uh, you ladies, um, about going down to Tucson, uh, and doing a project down there. Uh, but, uh, is that the same project, you know, helping out doing the same project over this, this coming winter, maybe like December-ish? Um, it, it, it certainly might be. Um, it, I know, um, so the, the Southern Arizona Coast River chapter is, is working on habitat projects with this, this one being one. And I, I don't know if they've wrapped up their, their most restructures this last year or if they're doing more this year. Um, but one of the, one of the other cool things that, that they're starting to get a little bit more involved with, um, is, is working with the Mass Bobway on the Buenos Aires National Wildlife Refuge. Um, and it actually runs their dogs and helps um, helps the wildlife biologists for the refuge locate the mass bobwhite when um, the little transmitters that tell them where they are, they go out. Um, they don't last forever. And so, and they're really expensive to maintain. Yeah. I didn't so know they were doing they those kind of surveys. Yeah. I didn't know they were doing those kind of surveys on, on uh masked bobwhite. No, that's a, uh, no. That's... Yeah. It's really, um, yeah. The, 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 usually the, uh, the quant biologists for the refuge will send out um, and to the, to the chapter and and they can help out that way and the chapter is also working on on creating uh, water line as well where they kind of hook it up to the hook these uh, you know PVC or like basically hose to to wells and can drip out and seep out and that creates like a little moist soil area that's well kind of moist is the real well moist term. by Arizona that's state where probably. It, it greens up right there yeah exactly and i was about to say moist soil area and then i was like mm. it's damp at night <laughs> somewhere it's not moist yeah right but. i mean because you're not talking about the same you know you're not talking like um like northeastern timberdoodle habitat you know where they can you know it's so loose and wet they can just stick their you know they're, they're looking for earthworms in it kind of yeah. totally different definition yeah no not <laughs> yes no, that sounds pretty cool so i mean obviously i mean between the chapters and and and, and you guys i mean there's a lot of there's a lot going on here. You know, it's not just that everybody's kind of sitting around twiddling their thumbs. There's a lot of work, you know, that's going down. So a lot of it's, you know, and that's one reason I wanted to do this podcast in the first place is that, you know, a lot of what you guys do is behind the scenes and a lot of folks don't know about it. So hopefully this will kind of, you know, maybe open up folks' eyes for, 
you know, hey, you know, for lack of better terminology, you know, shit's getting done, <laughs> you know. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I probably should learn how to bleep that stuff, shouldn't I? But, uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, no, I just kind of well, I kind of had my own little brain fart there for a second there. But um, so with the organizations doing this, this is, I mean, I would define that as citizen science. Uh, so with everything going across the state, uh, there's there's certainly room for citizen science and, and volunteerism, you know, to to help Arizona's wildlife. You know, obviously we're kind of specific to quail side. Uh, I mean, is would you guys agree like that? Like that's you know, it's kind of that's kind of where the power how. Uh, I'm going to call it the powerhouse. It's not really um, of Quail Forever. I mean, actually, yeah, it is. The the powerhouse of Quail Forever is based on its, you know, volunteers and, and you know, kind of basically on citizen science or? Yes, it's supported by their, our chapter members. They support us. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> we, I think without our chapter members. I also think our chapter members are so, um, they have so much unity and here in um, Southern Arizona, the Habitat Chair for the Southern Arizona Quail Forever Chapter, um, meal literature, and going back and forth and being like, here, look, I learned this. And he's like, oh, here, I learned this. And we're sharing, you know, and, and everything we've learned so we can help inform each other to make, you know, better better decisions for on the ground. And I'll be the first person to say that I am not a know-it-all. <laughs> <laughs> and I am obviously very much still learning. Well, I mean. As a young kid, doctor's there. Well, me develop my, a really great experience right but I, mean, I mean so i was trying not to go this way but professionally speaking i mean i'm, a, I'm kind of the same footing as, as you guys and i mean that's one part of wildlife that i've noticed is you never have all the answers i mean you're always labeled as the expert but you know it's it's all you're always learning i mean so i mean that's part of wildlife is that it's you know you're not sitting in a lab it's you're out where stuff changes you know on a sometimes not even a daily basis well, kind we, of like an hour by hour basis we, stuff will change we don't have like that. We don't actually literally have control over the climate. And whenever it changes, a lot of things changes with challenges are always with a lot of permutations, combinations that we have to figure out how this now. So it's never the same. It's always changing. And that poses a lot of challenges in our positions. Yeah, for a hundred percent. Yeah. With everything always changing. Yeah. You're, yeah. It's, there's always something that's always wonky. Um, like they always, what's the, I remember doing surveys back. Something new. Yeah. There's always something new. And like, um, and Carl, this is why I was, uh, emailing you all the time for the surveys is that I remember, uh, setting up bird surveys of different sorts. Um, just doing like point count kind of stuff, uh, surveys back East. And it seems like, you know, you have all your ducks in a row. And then the first year, you know, your first day you have boots on the ground, everything goes sideways. It's, you know, nothing's ever the same. Nothing's yeah. ever right. You know, somebody forgot this Absolutely. and forgot that. Yeah, it's, it's always, you know, different circumstances you got to deal with. <laughs> no, that's pretty, that's, uh, I don't know, it's one of my favorite parts about it. But, uh, so, I guess we're kind of getting, we're just looking down where I've actually gone over that hour mark. Um... So probably should wrap this up and let you guys get on with your nights. But uh, I kind of want to wrap this up and, you know, maybe talk about maybe the future of quail in Arizona. Um, you know, what do you guys think of the, the future looks like? Um, is it good? Is it bad? Um, and then if you guys have any closing uh, questions or comments, and then we'll we'll get on with our nights, I suppose. 
So um, I guess we'll just go number by or person by person. Uh, I guess we'll just go from Yuma to Tucson <laughs> and to uh, Utah. So, Miss Zara, what do you think about the future of uh, the southwestern quail and, um, you know, any closing comments? Well, considering there's so many people involved in trying to conserve these species, it is important that people um, try to participate. They understand what they have because we did lose a lot of species over the years due to negligence that we, we continue our efforts. And while we have people's participation in this area, it's like our chance them and as much as we can and, you know, work with them, work with the landowners, work with most habitat improving. We need to expand that and um, try to um, prioritize for, you know, just work the way we are working, but be able to change with the changing situations, like have people involved to change with the changing situations for the greater good. It's very cheesy, but that's what basically we want to do. Right. You really gotta, people, um, that are willing to change with the changing. Right. Yeah, yeah. You really got to roll the punches. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> No, I think that's I think you're hundred percent spot on with that is you know, as, as long as everybody's, you know, can get involved and stay involved, you know, we can we can meet those challenges head on and and uh you know, figure them out, you know, as a as a group rather than like one or two folks, you know, maybe, you know, making the shots. Or exactly. calling the shots. Mm-hmm. No, that's no, that's pretty that's a great way to end it. But um uh Miss Carly, um your turn. What do you What do you think about uh, the future of Arizona quail, and you know, maybe any closing comments or concerns? Um, okay, so I'll start with the the doom and gloom. Which society put out some some information about? Uh, they did some climate change models, and they they modeled some bird species gambles and scaled. Looks like they're doing okay um, with this scenario that uh, Audubon projected of a, a three degree change in the next 20 years or something like that and uh, the Montezumas are doing pretty poorly in this model um if we don't I think if we don't change our our ways <laughs> um we have some doom and gloom coming for us but is that we're not there yet we're not over the tipping point yet um you know there's there's still time and uh like Sarah said together for the greater good and and sort of roll with the punches of whatever changes and um just be more mindful of, of living and um, the policies that are that our elected officials support. Very good, Miss um, Sarah, your turn. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah, it was. We all had a little powwow about your questions um, the other day, and we change was probably, like Carly said, the biggest threat to to the quail in Arizona and. I also mentioned that, you know, scaled quail habits seem to be shrinking according to those models too, Carly, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah, their range was Luzona. And I think that's part of that's also being um, attributed to invasive species coming in, such as layman's lovegrass, which active and um, 
are as nutritious for for scaled quail and a whole bunch of this whole slew of, of other um so i think yeah i'm just gonna add on top of what carly and zara said instead of being the third person um just to we're, we're working towards hopefully bettering habitat so that in the future losing species yeah so i didn't know that about the about that species of grass and how that might have been uh or my banner is, you know, affecting our scale quail populations. That, that was a, uh, that's new information for me. Uh, no, but I think, I think you're right in that it's, you know, it's definitely going to be about the habitat, but, um, I guess, uh, last but not least by, by a long shot, Miss Yoder, what do you, what do you want to say or have to say? Um, well, I'm not really sure I can add a whole lot to what's already been said. All of those were great. Um, the only thing that, I mean, kind of ties in with what I do is I look at a lot of like landscape scale connectivity for habitat, climate change and, you know, the drying out. Is there ways that we can connect habitat so whale can move more freely to habitat that is more, make sure that they have access to water where there is some. And I'm just kind of trying to take a big picture look at some of these situations, sell that down to smaller projects that are doable by our, you know, citizen scientists and volunteers um, and just kind of planning for the reacting to a problem would be my recommendation. No, I really like that. I think that's a great way to end it out too, is that's something that you don't hear a lot in the Southwest, you know, because it is so much public land and it's kind of uniform, but yeah, um, have, you know, habitat fragmentation and those co- that corridor loss is definitely, uh, you know, it's, it definitely affects other places more so than Arizona, but it's still a factor here in the Southwest. Of course, I, I keep saying Arizona, but it's not just Arizona. Obviously it's, you know, it's all the southwestern states. And I suppose we can include Colorado and Southwest, too, even though I want to give them back to the the uh, Rocky Mountain states. But uh, I guess we can keep – depends on the conversation. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll take them once in a while. But, uh, no, I think that's, that's a great way to end it out is, you know, we, you know there's some boons, you know, especially with, uh, you know, how great the gambles are doing. But we still have to keep our eyes open and, and you know, and, and make sure that uh, – we're keeping our eyes to the future in order to help all the species, you know, um, you know, especially our, you know, our definitely more threatened species like the, the, the mask Bob whites and the, uh, and the Montezumas, uh, down in, um, you know, down along the old Mexico border and, uh, hopefully we can keep them around. So, you know, future generations can enjoy them just as much as we do. Cause I know I have a lot of fun with them little buggers. To tell you the truth. <laughs> they're, they're fun to, watch they're fun to photograph they're fun to hunt i mean i i hope they're around for a long long time no i can't thank you guys enough for for coming on for agreeing to to do this and and uh putting up my questions and sticking around for an hour or so and um yeah so i guess uh with that uh we'll say our i'll say my goodbyes and i'll get out of your hair so thank you again thank you thank you you. all right Bye. Bye.